Two bodies pressed together Two boys are falling apart The smell of sweat and leather A kinky greeting card Crazy about each other We both have fucked up pasts But when we are together fucking blast I wanna be a housewife What's so wrong with that? I wanna be a housewife Yeah, and that's just where I'm at I'm making guacamole He's working on the car When he grills turkey burgers He knows I like them charred I like to wash the dishes I like to scrub the floors Don't mind doing his laundry what are boyfriends for? I wanna be a housewife What's so wrong with that? I wanna be a housewife, yeah And that's just where I'm at I wanna have this baby I wanna That was our artistic expression for episode two of the LGBTQ Psyche podcast. That was Jay Brennan with the Housewife song. It's a cute song. It's a nice little tune. Um, but especially given what our episode uh, is dealing with today, um, talking about gay assimilationism, queer assimilationism, and our interview with uh, Elijah Yecki, who is going to be talking about queer Stockholm syndrome? Um, you know, it's very interesting just to kind of 
play that song and hear the way that a gay man is talking about same-sex love in a very heterosexist kind of way that sees him wants to be a housewife and that's what relationships are is making guacamole and scrubbing floors and having babies having babies yeah um so just a little provocation there to start us out um so welcome to the lgbtq psyche podcast i am tyler baker wilkinson and i'm morgan fitzgibbon and this is episode two part one two-parter um we decided to separate uh the episode today into two parts today we're going to be uh playing the interview with elijah yecky about queer stockholm syndrome um and then on the next episode morgan and i will kind of explore that a little bit more um how we see it how it plays out in our lives and morgan was recently married to her boyfriend legend and so we're going to talk about that a little bit and how that's assimilationist how we can make that more uh queer or bi in the case of of morgan um so that'll be the next episode but today will be the Elijah Yaki interview on queer Stockholm syndrome, um, and we're very excited for it. The podcast again is uh, a way of, you know, the subtitle is the everything at the intersection of LGBTQ um, identity and psychology and liberation, um, LGBTQ liberation by means by way of psychology and how we can liberate our own psyches from. Uh, the oppression that we've, you know, grown up with and um, continues to be internalized. It's a way for Morgan and I to have continued exposure and exploration to um, ideas relating to um, gay psyche, gay-centered inner work, um, ideas within the community, issues within the community, um, you know, and how we can further develop our own selves and our own, you know, um, LGBTQ centeredness, um, to our own betterment, to our own creative potential, to our own loving potential, erotic potential. Okay. So we're here with Elijah Yek, M.A. Hey. Yeah, I'm uh, Elijah Yecki. I have my master's degree in clinical psychology uh, from Antioch University. Want an introduction like this? Yeah, cool. All right. Um, uh, I specialized in the LGBTQ uh, affirmative psychology program there. I'm currently doing my intern hours um, in the field of opiate addiction. Wow. It's kind of like a nutshell. Before the interview, Elijah and I, Morgan, were talking about um, like addiction and, and our own histories and things like that, just how easy it is to slip into addictive things, um, mm. um, to numb that trauma. Uh-huh. Um, so it's really perfect to have you on to talk about queer Stockholm syndrome, which was a presentation that um, he gave in a class we were in a while ago. Um, based on a paper you'd written. A couple years ago that was, yeah. Um, what I did for that class um, was to uh, start looking at different studies on uh, LGBT families. 
Uh, and what I realized when I started looking through these various studies on like, most of the studies were um, on how children uh, responded to being raised by a same sex loving person. And do these children turn out to be normal? Um, and so that, uh, you know, I just started looking at these studies and, um, you know, I realized that my intent, my focus was to sort of like prove that children raised by gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender parents turn out to be just as normal, if not healthier or, or more um, uh, well-adjusted than children raised by heterosexual um, parents. And um, So your definition, for, I'm sorry, for that was of normal was healthy? Able yeah. To have healthy relationships? Yeah, normal, okay. not a good word, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oops. Um, so, uh, so, but I, I, you know, I realized that the way that I was approaching doing this paper, this project for this, this class, uh, or for this workshop was one of like defensiveness, um, mm. from, from the beginning. And so that sort of like, um, you know, I had to sit down and look at, my internal motivations, where this was coming from, and um, that sort of like uh, led me on to start um, uh, considering uh, that my defensiveness was um, as a result of uh, my trauma, mm -hmm. and perpetually trying to like defend myself that I was okay, um, you know, from childhood on, and that that sort of like. Um, you know, was present in, in this work that I was, what I was doing for this class. So, um, so like the, the question of your research of do the kids end up normal <laughs> and think, so that's coming from a place where you are having to defend gay and lesbian people raising children. Right. And a lot of the studies too, you know, the, the studies seem to come from the groups that were studying these because right. a lot of the studies started in the 1970s. Um, when um, lesbians uh, were losing custody of their children solely on the basis that they were lesbian and being placed with a dysfunctional father because he was heterosexual. So even the, the, the very roots of these sort of studies came from like a defensive, sort of, you know, legally, right. from a defensive um, place. Mm -hmm. We're just as good as you. Right. Look at how normal we can be, right. just like you. Which... Um, sort of like led me along to, you know, to be thinking about these things and the, the idea of Stockholm Syndrome uh, came to mind and um, I started to do some reading on that and I think connected to that we're just as good as you is the idea that we're just like you. Mm -hmm. You know, we're no different than you except I like to sleep with right. like someone different. I'm sexually attracted to someone. There, there's nothing, you know, different than me and I think that can be... Um, <coughs> Uh, a potentially um, damaging um, belief system as well mm -hmm. to kind of like yeah. think along those lines because what it does is it diminishes the uniqueness right. you know of the uh -huh. uh, of the individual and the specialness of what it means to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. Right. Right. So the idea that we're just like you is actually damaging. Yeah, I, I really think it can be. I see how it's used, like, you know, sort of like politically and as an argument to try and... Mm -hmm. But then again, we're defending ourselves. We're not mm -hmm. just sort of, 
existing within um, you know the realm of our uniqueness, specialness. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's really not coming from a position of power, right? Politically or psychologically, yeah. I don't think. You know, my partner and I were having this conversation uh, yesterday as we went right. to a fundraiser that was very hetero, very politically conservative, but it was you know quote for the children, and we we went and we sucked it up and just went. And then on the way back, he was saying, sort of just like this, that some, even from like a political perspective, he's got this idea that, you know, the more they are exposed to us, gay people, that the more it becomes normalized for them and that they will somehow vote in our favor. And we, you know, we talked about that and I was like, you know, but that really does come from a perspective of, you know, Give me crumbs. Give me my. Give me my rights. If I show you how normal I am, you'll give me rights. Mm -hmm. So it's immediately coming from a powerless right. position, and you, the masses, the homophobic masses, you know, once you see that we're not different in any way, you'll give us rights. And right. just how fucked up that is. Right. And I think the end result of that is is that we're still not going to end up with, with any kind of acceptance from taking that approach right. politically. We're not going to end up with the type of acceptance we're looking for. There's mm -hmm. still going to be, you know, there's still going to be, I don't know, a discrimination, a lack of understanding, all those. Well, and it doesn't buck the, the homogenousness of it all. You know, we all need to be the same then. There's right. no room for variation, you know. Ugh. <laughs> you know, there's there's no room for the differentness, and where do we cultivate differentness and uniqueness? And right. you know that it's not just you know who we sleep with, but exactly it there's goes, something unique to our personality, our psyche, our soul. Yeah, it goes um, deeper than that. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, going into queer Stockholm. Sort of. So let's talk about a little bit, like what basically Stockholm syndrome would be considered, like what traumatic bonding. Um, it's um, uh, Stockholm syndrome is sort of like a media uh, dub term. Uh, I think it was during the seventies, during a bank robbery uh, in Stockholm, Sweden. The four people who were taken captive began to uh, identify with those who were uh, holding them captive. And it even lasted beyond, uh, they were held captive for like 118 hours for some long period of time like that. And even afterwards, they refused to testify against these people um, uh, who were abusive to them while they were uh, captive. They began to identify with them. So that's um, was the media dub thing. And then there were some uh, researchers who went on to like you know do some uh, some work around this, some um, studying and stuff. And there's four um, criteria that D. Graham uh, talks about that uh, that are involved in Stockholm syndrome, which I could go over. Totally. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, the first one is the victim perceiving a threat to his or her survival. The second is the victim perceiving some kind of kindness, however small, from the abuser or the captor. The third, the victim being isolated from others who might offer an alternative perspective from that of the abuser. And the last one, the victim perceiving no way to escape except by winning over the abuser. 
So when I read, you know, read through those, um, you know, sort of those four criteria for uh, Stockholm syndrome to uh, occur, and I read some of the work of um, the psychologist D. Graham, who took the Stockholm idea and um, applied it to um, feminist issues, mm. I could see the same thing happening within the queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, well. Could. Could you take us through each of those and maybe describe a little bit how you see it happening within the queer community? Yeah, definitely. Um, The first one, the victim perceiving a threat to his or her survival. Uh, That one I think is pretty obvious with just, you know, the uh, political climate uh, that goes on. uh, um, Things like gay bashing, the whole bullying thing that's now a popular topic in the news and stuff um, is all there's uh, in, in many places uh, there is a, a definite uh, physical threat mm-hmm. uh, to a person existing who's different, who's queer. Right. Um, and then, I mean, we, you know, this is about psychology, right, too. And I think just on a profound level from day one, from infancy, that there's to be honest about who you are is a potential threat to your survival. Right. You know, if on the very basic level, if mommy bear abandons you, how are you going to survive? You uh-huh. know, and that there's something about the lack of mirroring in the heterosexism and the homophobia that we grow up with, that right. if we are to come out as, you know, LGBT queer people, you know, we will be abandoned in some way. Right. And I think, uh, you know, for myself and for most people I know we we sense as queer people early on that there's something different mm-hmm. you, know, you know uh maybe even that happens at a pre-verbal stage that we sense there's something different so we uh feel like aliens in our own little world with mommy and daddy uh frequently absolutely um, and so that too is you know that is a threat to our psychic survival right that you know we're just so totally different so we have to become one of them. We have to be absorbed within. Mm-hmm. The um, the second criteria, perceiving some kind of kindness, however small, from the captor uh, or abuser. Um, and we see this played out, I think, over and over um, politically. I think the, um, the psychological reaction, you know, the of the gay community to Obama's pronouncement. It's a perfect example right yeah, now. Is a, a, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, frustrating. You know, the, the hoopla over, he goes, well, now, finally, I think. I've evolved. Said, I think, the word, yeah, I think, and I've evolved, which is, you know, mazel tov, good for you. Um, you know, uh, that I affirm same-sex people's rights to uh, to get married. I mean, it's it's a pretty weak statement, but then you just see like how the community reacted, and it's just like, yeah, Obama, and there's no like questioning like politically what does this mean, but it just uh, I thought was such an illustration of sort of that you know that child who does feel so different, and uh, it is an illustration of this small gesture of kindness, a small gesture of acceptance, mm-hmm. and how um, 
you know, this, this overreaction of sort of like gratitude of, you know, yeah. bowing down and, and worshiping him. Like, you know, you know, thank you for thinking that you affirm <laughs> our right to legally get married. Right. Right. So, crumbs, crumbs. It, thank you for crumbs. Yeah, and it doesn't say anything yeah. that's going to happen specifically politically or anything, but, you mm-hmm. know, just, just the response that, yeah, this is what, you know, yeah. he likes us. Sort of, and, you know what I mean? And you know, on, on the other side of that, I've seen, um, I've gotten so many ads from the Obama campaign that's just like, here I am, I'm Obama, and I have a rainbow. It says nothing about, like, what he intends to do politically or exactly. what his thoughts or feelings on any LGBT rights issues are. It's, he's used it as a great marketing scheme. Right, and by the way, I'm now on his uh, Latino marketing for some reason. So apparently <laughs> if you're any minority, you're you're just on the mi- on. minority email list. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, there's also like, um, you know, I'm thinking about identifying with the captors, and then you see um, I don't know what the the, the one that the um, the prisoners ended up being they were they were all put in this experiment, and then the prisoners ended up abusing other prisoners as well. Oh like yeah, there's this like study. yeah, um, there's this identification mm-hmm. with the oppressor, and then you end up you know oppressing right. each other, right, right, um, exactly, because you're so identified with it. And then you know, so I was just the pushback that you got from the gay community or from gay colleagues, friends, things like that. When you would speak to this is really crumbs. Mm-hmm. This this is wonderful. But it's crumbs, right. and you need to be able to acknowledge both. Yes, he's the first sitting president to say all this, but it's still crumbs. You right. know, our bar is so low that that feels so amazing. Right. But the pushback you get from people when you say that is exactly. really remarkable. It's like Tyler, come on! I mean, what are you just so negative? And yeah. it's like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There was a, I had like a lot of negative feedback that I should just accept it. Uh, you know, without any reservation, without any question, uh, without any intellect, you know, put into into it. So, um, yeah. which again, I think is like an effect of like this sort of queer Stockholm syndrome phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know, happening within the community. Yeah. That took us through step two, right? That took us to uh, yeah through the second uh, the second element of it. The third one is the victim being isolated from others who might offer an alternative perspective from that of the abuser. So you touched on that, Tyler, when you said you know it's that that kickback from the community, like you're so yeah. negative and you, you're not appreciating this gesture or whatever. That is. Uh, you know, that kickback is to, you know, keep us in line to be good little queer people yeah. who, um, you know, aren't going to, you know, you've got to sell out an element of your, your, your queerness to be accepted. Right. Um, and, um, and that's reflected, I think, socially in, um, the main political push of the mainline, um, LGBT political movement, and that's for marriage. Mm-hmm. Ordination is a big thing, so we have marriage, uh, ordination, and uh, we still have some like adoption, oh, military things going on. Military. It's all very so it's all uh, you know, kind of programmed to make us good little um, capitalist soldiers in this imperialist system. Mm. You that, know, that's um, so interesting when I hear you name those four because. <laughs> 
It's like, think about each one of those things are like the opposite of queerness. Right. It's the opposite of homosexual, you know? And when I started, you know, like doing this research and stuff, I also thought, you know, I began to wonder, like, why is this the the push? And I started to read some commentary by some queer people, um, you know, on this that really, like, challenged it and uh, questioned why aren't we, you know, identifying with other marginalized groups? Mm. We want to identify with the marginalizer so we can be a part of that majority or feel we're a part of the majority. Um, And, yeah, we will become a part of we're struggling to be a part of the powers that be that that continue um, this marginalization of other groups. Why don't we? Um, why aren't we more identified with immigrant struggle? Um, we're more marginalized and, and and politically along that you know um, with other groups like that. Um, and, and then we see just sort of like U.S. politics in general. Um, you know, we invade other countries and we marginalize, you know, other peoples and stuff when we're striving to become a part of this this entire um, system, to be married in the military and ministers and rabbis, you know. Mm. Some of the major, like, um, you know, forces of political and psychological oppression, and this is what we're vying for. I, right. I, you know, I think it speaks a lot. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think a lot too, just, um, I mean, it's kind of, uh, superficial, but, um, I think it's important, like just the amount of money that's put into these political causes. And I wonder about what kind of good can be done for larger populations of people within the queer community. And then also, um, in these other marginalized groups that you're talking about to be able to really affect some change in the lives of people, mm-hmm. you know, the day-to-day lives of, of housing and healthcare and things like that. Um, and it's just millions upon millions of dollars going to fight for marriage rights and fight for the right to kill in the military. And, you know, it's like, what, sometimes I just think, what the fuck is this all for? Like, it's such a disgrace that right. when we could be uplifting a lot of different people. Right. And we'll see, I think increasingly what we'll see is we'll see the queer community um, uh, divided into uh, deeper classes is, you know, what's going to be happening. Those who are able to, like, you know, assimilate in into that to a certain extent and those who just cannot or will not, you know, assimilate into this, you know, new system. Mm-hmm. The gay rights movement mm-hmm. used to be a struggle to, um, you know, a struggle for our uniqueness and right. the uniqueness for expression of our uniqueness and the uniqueness. Now we're fighting to be just like and not that. Yeah. You know, um, when I talk about this with people, they say, "So you're against uh, same-sex marriage, um, or you're against relationships?" It's not the case. Right. Um, it's. Um, I think it's just something we need to like question our, 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 our motivation when we enter into things and how are we trying to, are, are we trying to, you know, mimic um, these systems that are oppressive, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. come out of oppression that don't work. There, there are different ways to do community, to do relationship that right. don't have to be heteronormative right? Um, and don't have to be imperialistic and oppressive, you know, oppressive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I often say that to people too, because I, I, been, I was legally married in California when it was legal, 
and um, you know the whole uh, the whole argument of you know we just want the same rights as you do. We're not trying to change the institution. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I am <laughs> trying to change the institution. And because I'm part of the institution, mm-hmm. I, I can be changing that as well. Right. Even uh-huh. in the way that I discuss my own marriage with others or, right. you know, um, um, you know how we negotiate our relationship. It does change it, and we should change it exactly. because it's a fucked institution. Right, right. Well, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it comes out of this very patriarchal... Um, ownership uh, yeah, and... Uh, Ownership, thank God that we don't join it into like a legal union where you protect property rights or do it in any way. There's anything essentially wrong with that, but it just really comes out of its roots are pretty oppressive. Yeah. And we need to question it. Exactly. Just mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah. And the last uh, criteria uh, is the victim perceiving no way to escape except by winning over the abuser. Mm. That seems pretty uh, self-evident as well, you know. Yeah. You know, in a sense that um, you know, we just see um, sacrificing the uniqueness of the queer community. When you look back, you know, from uh, the roots of uh, gay rights movement and stuff, uh, from Stonewall on, um, you look at what it's become. It's like the sacrifice has been. You know, for survival, we're yeah. we're, we're fighting to be j- just like you, or to convince you, meaning the oppressor, uh, that we there's nothing different. Right. I'm, I'm when you say that, I'm thinking mm. about you know the, the touting out you know very um, various celebrity couples and things like that, and just how how. Um, it all screams, you know, look at us, we're so normal, give us rights. And that, you know, it's not even that that's used and, and, and I'm trying to say it in a way that makes sense. Um, it could be a little tricksterish, right? Where, you know, let's tout out these, these couples or this, this way. And, and, and so that we can have the rights that we deserve, mm-hmm. But also preserve our uniqueness. Right. You know, there's this mm-hmm. image that they need to see to vote in our favor, and we need their votes for it to pass, or whatever it is. Right. Uh, but there's not even that. It's not. I mean, that's even shit. But, you know, um, there's not even that trickster quality to it. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's moved from a political um, um, tactic to an internalized state now, mm-hmm. where it's be normal. You know, be like them. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's not the first time in, like, uh, like queer liberation history, gay liberation history, that we see that happening. I think at the time that ACT UP came, there was, like, sort of a counter group, ACT NICE. Oh, really? That, that you know, evolved. That was just sort of like, and, you know, who actually, you know, put the spotlight? It was, it was the more radical queers and act up that really, you know, drew the attention and the spotlight to the AIDS crisis and the need for funding and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Act nice. Uh, And then you go back to, um, I think, way back in the days of the Mattachine Society and stuff like that, there were, um, forget the names of the the groups, there were were some groups that were sort of like, no, you, you, 
can't be too queer mm-hmm. when we go out there. You know, you have to go dressed. Uh. You have to go dressed in the suit and the tie. And, right. And forgetting some of my LGBT history <laughs> um, here, but there was, uh, you know, there was that group too that like said to be accepted, we have to appear um, like them. We have to appear normal. So you know, leave your boas at home and stuff. Right. <laughs> Well, I guess then that begs the question, do we want to be accepted? On those terms. Yeah, you mean not like on the terms of, uh, yeah, do we want to be accepted if we have to be like them? Yeah, I mean, is it necessary to be, is it necessary to be accepted? I suppose in some ways, if we want rights that are the same as the people in power, then, then there is a degree to which you have to be accepted by them. But, I don't know, it seems very assimilationist to to say my goal is to be accepted by heteronormative society. Right, and and who knows whether that acceptance is is ever going to happen. And I think, you know, to sort of counter that, instead of going at it, going you know, toward this whole thing from that perspective that, you know, well, we're going to be like you, we want your acceptance, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, Um, you know, we need to start looking at the gifts that the queer community has provided to, you know, the heterosexual community and heteronormativity, in fact, because... Because we exist, because queer people exist, we've uh, we've given them more freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Heterosexual men are able to explore their sensitive side. You know what I mean? There's all all, all, all sorts of things um, that um, have come about. Uh, More sexual freedom and liberation um, within the heterosexual community because of um, the queer community being visible and being themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or I mean, yeah and what about the the you know the history of the uh, the uh, the uh, women's rights movements in the 60s and 70s that that was you know the, the as the story goes you know a large group of those women a large proportion of those women were lesbians mm-hmm. um, and and queer but th- those issues directly related to being lesbian or queer were pushed aside to, you know, one thing at a time, first, you know, women's rights, then then we'll get on to gay rights and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, even just that, I mean, that's fueled by this, uh, you know, powerful lesbian spirit. Yeah. You know? Any thoughts, Morgan? Um, I was wondering if we could address Elijah's choice of the word queer community. Tyler and I have sort of different views on terminology as far as queer versus LGBT. Um, and Elijah, you, you predominantly, it seems, use the word queer, and I'm wondering what your motivation for that choice of words is. Partially laziness. <laughs> because I... You like me in that way. I use it as an umbrella term. Because it's an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the term queer... Um, sort of expands the umbrella a bit more um, to include more than just lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Um, I think that um, 
there are uh, heterosexual people who could classify themselves as queer, who live their life different, who live their life outside of these um, heteronormative right precepts, uh-huh. uh, and um, uh, who would classify and say identify with um, sexual minority communities more, who may identify or who do identify as queer. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I use it as an umbrella term, but I think it's also larger than just saying, um, you know, LGBT. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate your use of the term for that reason. Yeah. I tend to use them very interchangeably, and I think when we're talking about um, uh, a psychological centeredness about you, I tend to use LGBT more specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of what we hope to talk about continually in the podcast is what does it mean to be more gay-centered? And I'm speaking from me, who identifies as gay. So what does it mean to become more centered in however right. you identify you know, so I think I tend to use both the umbrella term, and then when I'm getting more specific about even my own psychology, I'll use you know, right. gay more. Well, I think for for gay males, I think we do have like a unique experience, and I think uh-huh. there is this mm-hmm. this commonality. And lesbians, I think, would say that. And then for those who say are um, bisexual or heterosexual and identify like as queer, not fitting into the heteronormative modes mm-hmm. um, that's or the gay normative modes right yeah. um, uh-huh. is there anything that you wanted to cover that you weren't able to or? no okay no, okay. no not at all I didn't really you know I just thought uh, I'll come here and talk and hopefully without like you know like I want to talk about this or that so. uh huh yeah but does that feel like authentically representing sort of what yes yeah. the ideas are My okay so thank you again to Elijah Yecki for coming on and talking with us. I think that was a really um, good kind of introduction and good things to be thinking about. Um, we really appreciate him coming on, taking the time to record with us um, and introduce um, this kind of idea of um, uh, a tr- almost traumatic bonding with uh, kind of homophobic oppression that I think most of us has been, have been exposed to, um, and this idea of the queer Stockholm syndrome. And on the next episode, um, we will be further discussing this issue of, um, queer Stockholm syndrome, assimilationism, as I said before. So stay tuned for part two, um, aiming to air in the next few weeks. Um, So look for that. You can email us your reactions, any thoughts, any comments, any um, provocations to lgbtqpsychepodcast at yahoo.com. You can also download uh, episodes at lgbtqpsychepodcast.podbean.com. And we also have a website courtesy of Morgan, www.lgbtqpsyche.wordpress.com. Um, at the LGBTQ Psyche podcast page. Rock on. So that is our second episode. And wishing you all fabulous inner work and lots of hot and horny gay arrows throughout your day. Mm-hmm.